This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Sclina. And I'm your other host, Matt Sclina. And Matt, I should say host, but also we are realtors in Vancouver with Oakland Realty. And we've got a fantastic episode today. We've got Jonathan Meads. He's the VP of Streetside Developments. A lot of people will know Streetside. Also, they are a Qualico company, Qualico largest development company in L- Western largest Canada. Largest private development private firm yeah. uh, in, in Western Canada. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Huge, huge company. And Streetside's doing a, a ton in, in the, lower, the mainland. lower mainland. I yep. mean, uh, we talk about this active in Surrey, Concrete Tower coming there, Bailey, which is at 33rd and what is it, Quebec? Yep. In Little Mountain, they're doing stuff in Burke Mountain. Yep. They're all over the place. Uh, but also, so Jonathan's position is, knows a lot about the various municipalities and exciting areas in Vancouver. And then looking outwards, Qualico is active in every every market across Western Canada. So he's really got a, an interesting vantage point, one that we, we one that we haven't heard on the show. Yeah, it's very interesting that he 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 talks a lot about how he communicates with other people in leadership positions, kind of throughout other cities in Western Canada, and they talk about their challenges. And surprise, surprise, they're not always the same challenges. <laughs> no, um, anyways, we'll we'll save that for the show. But tons of takeaways. I love, uh, you asked him where he would sell his hypothetical nephew a home in l- the Lower Mainland right. as a good what, investment. What, what did Uncle Jonathan say? Yeah, exactly. You'll have to listen. Yes, stay tuned for that. But before we get to that, Matt, we went to an event yesterday that was very interesting. The Minister of Housing, BC's Minister of Housing, Ravi Kalan, was speaking at an event put on by Addy. Right. Which was at uh, Lawn and Tennis. Uh, Lawn and Tennis. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've never really been. Oh, invited. really? Oh, uh, you used go to there be a, a member. Yeah. yeah you, anyway, you, no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, it was a nice event put on by those guys. Really like Addy and what they're up to. Interesting room. Interesting room. Yeah. Intimate. Uh, I'll save this for the pitch for Instagram, but you actually filmed Chip Wilson tearing a strip off of Ravi <laughs> Yeah. The minister. Uh, I would say it was a fairly, not hostile, but let's say almost everyone who asked a question, because it was a question and answer, prefaced their question with, we appreciate you being here. This is probably not the room you want to be in. Here's uh, a hug. Now I'm yeah. going to punch you in the gut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, but you know, yeah, and it was intimate. Lots of uh, lots of people in, I, I would say, the industry in the room and lots of people that are just kind of Vancouver figures. And Chip Wilson was like, I could have reached out and uh, patted him on the back. Didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Was, you did try massage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give him a bit of a shoulder rub. No, he, he's, uh, he's obviously, he's got a presence though, that guy. Um, yeah. I think, I wonder what came first, right? I mean, clearly he's a charismatic guy. Right. But I mean, everybody in the room kind of knew who he Yeah. Was walked there. into and went, oh, Chip Wilson's over there. Yeah. You know, that's it must the, be hard to go places. In Vancouver, you'd think. Right? I wanted yeah. to approach him. End of my Vancouver real estate podcast uh, media ID. He, he's the, uh, he's the white whale of the show. Yeah, he is. He is. We've been trying to get him for a while, but uh, doesn't return our calls. Anyways, <laughs> enough about Chip Wilson, but the Ravi Callen talk was, what was your big take? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. A really bright guy. Uh, I think a lot of people appreciated a lot uh, of what he said. Here's a couple thoughts. One is, and we've talked about this before, but man, I don't know if it was the room, but the the NDP provincial government has shifted fully to supply now, right? Right. There was a lot of talk about how they were going to use uh, both carrot and stick with municipalities to get more housing built. Uh, still not super optimistic on that front, honestly. But uh, but it's real. The the conversation has shifted. The other thing, you know, we've had people on this show that spend more time with David Eby than we do, 
And I think somebody said, you know, he's kind of like a bull in the China shop, right? Right. That he's he's there to make moves. He's there to get things done, kind of, and there's going to be some Shaking things up. Shaking things up. And Ravi Callan, the minister of housing, literally said at some point, David Eby said to him, here's this file. Here's the housing file. You're in charge. Let's like make some, make some changes. Let's get this solved, which I think is kind of an incredible thing. And I think Ravi... Callan felt the same, like, okay, I, I'm in full control. With that said, and you pointed this out, right? He gave a backstory to talk about the lack of supply in Vancouver. And he said, a couple years ago, a friend of mine was in from Singapore and we rode the SkyTrain into a Whitecaps game. And at Nanaimo Station, they get off. And I, he made some joke about his, his friend wanted to get off from right. Singapore. And his friend wanted to get off to look around because as he was riding the SkyTrain, he couldn't believe that at a SkyTrain station, it was a sea of single-family homes. Right. And he said to uh, the Minister of Housing, I can't believe that there's not more density around this SkyTrain. And here's the the rub. Everybody knows that's crazy, right? But uh, Ravi Kalon said, that was the first time I'd ever thought about housing and density and urban planning and why that, why this doesn't make sense, which made us think, man, everybody in this room has been thinking a a long time about some people, real estate planning, Michael Geller is like, he's talking about being in the industry in the seventies. And yet Ravi Kalan, who was literally handed the housing file in December of 2022. So he's been, he's been at this five months, do, do whatever you do, whatever you want. And he's, has no previous knowledge of how well, anything has worked, except he's learning on the fly. Well, he's, yeah. And his, his take was that, yeah, for the last, you know, that was three years ago, that story, two yeah. or three years ago. And that's what really caught me off guard. Cause I was, that's, I was literally looking around the room at all these people that were like some pretty big industry moguls and guys, people that have wrestled with these questions for, and been yeah, talking decades. about it for, for yeah, yeah. and have also watched the cycles, have felt and lived the problems, like in a way that, like, you know, it, not it, academically, it, not academically, exactly. And it was, uh, it was kind of wild to sit back and think, and that that was like my biggest. Like, I walked out and I was like, man, uh, it, I didn't feel more confident leaving that meeting, but no, no, it was fascinating nonetheless. But it, you know, and and with that said, you know, I guess. This is, I was thinking about this after because it's like, I guess this is actually how governments always, you know, four-year cycles, democracies, this is how it works. But uh, but still, n- nevertheless, you, I mentioned it to somebody else who's been in the industry a very long time. And they said, it speaks to the depth of, and this is giving, giving the minister of housing, hey, brightest guy in the world, but the lack of experience specifically when it comes to housing, it speaks to the the depthness of the people in power when they, when there's a housing crisis that's been going on a decade and they're like, all right, well, who do we got? Oh, a guy who has literally never thought about density up until December 22. Let's give him the ball. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was an interesting conversation. I think the, the only other thing I'll, I'll mention from it was, um, lots of people, (laughs) lots of landlords, upset about the 2% cap, yeah. uh, which that came up a lot. Yeah, uh, We didn't talk about the flipping tax. Nothing came up around that. But, you know, it sounds like there's some announcement coming even in the yeah. very, very near future. In the fall, he brought, he said, we'll, we'll have more on that in the fall. We'll have more on that in the fall. We'll yeah. have more. That sounds like there's going to be a lot coming there's, in the there's fall. There's a lot of layers coming. So stay tuned for that. Matt, we got a couple things just before we get to our conversation with Jonathan. One is the new website, tons of positive feedback. Uh, head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. You can sign up for things like the sold plan. Somebody did not understand uh, what the sold plan was. So I want to make sure I'm doing a good job explaining this. It is essentially a document that we've created to help you get ready to list your home. And and really what we do is you pick a launch date. So say you want to get on the market June 15th. You pick your date and you work your way backwards. And there's about a two-week window there of instructions on what you need to do to get ready to list your property. So really, it's just a document that we've created because a lot of people don't know what they need to do. This is a a highly downloaded document now. Tons of people getting in touch for it. Uh, Tons of people from the industry using it. You can head over to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. You just sign up. 
Get the document. Sell with us. The button. The button. Sell with us. Immediate download. Yeah. Uh, And then also, Matt, uh, last but not least, I should say follow us on Instagram because things like that meeting uh, with... You literally filmed... I filmed uh, Chip Wilson. Chip Wilson asking a question, which question might not be the right word. I don't know if he actually asked the question as much as... I think he left before gave, he gave, got an answer. Gave a strong, <laughs> gave a strong opinion. <laughs> but, uh, but it was on the stories. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I'm glad you captured it. It was, it was great. I'm a huge Chip Wilson fan and uh, even more so after yesterday. It was, it was pretty great. Yeah. Uh, with, but no this is, these are the things uh, you get with uh, at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast on Instagram. Absolutely. But without further ado, let's cut to our conversation with Jonathan Meads. VP Streetside Developments. This is a great one. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection. Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Marcon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at Marcon Homes. Marcon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Jonathan Meads, VP of Streetside Developments, a Qualico company. How you doing, Jonathan? I'm good, guys. Good morning. How are you? Very well, thanks. Yeah, thanks so much, Jonathan, for for taking the time. Some people will have heard you on the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast, but I think... Uh, so we can't really call you a past guest fan favorite necessarily on our show, but hopefully in the future. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, well, thanks for having me. And Jonathan, for, for our listeners, uh, can you maybe start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Oh, a little about me. That's a good start. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the VP of Streetside BC Operations. I'm chartered surveyor by training and started my career back in the UK after uni and came out here 20, 21 years ago and have been working here in Vancouver ever since. Once I was chartered, I specialized in, in sort of the project development, project management um, streams in the UK. And then just when I moved out here, I married a Canadian girl, um, and, but moved out here and transitioned into, into the same role here, really. Worked for cooperators. Uh, they had a development arm back in the day for three years and then moved to Concert Properties. I was there for 11 years and um, moved to Streetside, what, six years ago now. And um, been able to grow my career out here and I, I get paid to do something I love, which is a great position to be in. Yeah, been building, gosh, a bit of everything. Uh, concrete high-rise, um, wood frame, uh, residential, um, some mixed use. Not really an industrial specialist, but certainly been involved with some retail and office spaces in the past as well. Um, but that's a Coles Notes version of me anyways. So there's actually, there's a lot to unpack there. But first, first of all, I'm just curious, first impressions of Vancouver. <laughs> you mean when I landed or today? When you landed. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to today. But uh, when you first got here, did you feel like you, yeah, you won um, the girlfriend lottery or did you feel like you... Uh, <laughs> wanted to maybe go home. The girlfriend being Vancouver? <laughs> no, yeah. no. Actually, joking aside, so we met in the UK. Um, I built uh, the office building for the company. She was out here with a Canadian company called, oh dear, I forgot the name. They built the Canada Arm. Anyway, they were doing some work for the UK government. I built their office building out there. and 
So we were together three years in the UK and we said, right, we'll come here for three years and then we'll have a decision about where to settle. It's 20 years later. We've never really said, where are we going to settle? Um, so I think you could say we're settled. Uh, it's a much better quality of life. I, I enjoy being outdoors. Um, don't get me wrong. There's some bits about the UK I miss, friends, family, and, and some of the culture. But I, I enjoy being outdoors, healthy environment, way less pollution. And to be honest with you, just opportunity. There's, there's an old school mentality working in London. You know, if, if I, I'm the first person in my family to ever go into real estate, but there's one of those old school mentalities of where if your dad knew someone, they got you into their industry and, you know, you got to leap up that way. And I, I didn't have any of that. So I was working the hard way up the chain, but I've done it here too. But uh, it, it's there's more opportunity. And I think if you work hard here, you're recognized for it. And, and- just thinking about the transition from being a surveyor to now running street side developments, how, how did you, like, can you talk a little bit about your career trajectory and, and how you go from, from surveying to running a development company? So, yeah, I suppose it's probably worth understanding. Underneath the surveying banner, there's lots of different types of surveyors. I was not the land surveyor, the guy out with the theodolite doing, um, and they don't use those there now, it was total stations. But they, they, you know, doing the measurements of the land, they have uh, various different they have valuation surveyors, quantity surveyors. I was actually a building surveyor. So the best way to describe it and what I did when I landed here was I kind of pitched myself from three different avenues, avenues part project manager, part development manager, and actually back in the UK, part almost building envelope consultant. So I really, and, and the building envelope piece was the one that interested me less. So I really just promoted myself those three avenues and i just literally started off by knocking on doors and every time i met somebody i was like just give me two more contacts two more people to reach out to and ironically once i became established realized that half of the people i met with were now either consultants working for me or i was trying to partner with somebody on something you know it, was, it worked very well for me to transition but with respect to the training piece um probably the biggest difference the development side of stuff, you just learn and grow and evolve in as, as time goes by. But managing the company is the biggest single difference. Doing a, a graduate degree in the UK in the 90s, they didn't do business management the way maybe it does today. So that, that's been a bigger learning curve. And just trying to address areas. I came through the development side, but internally we, we have our own sales and marketing our own uh, home and a care, our own construction. We self-perform. We build all our own homes. So certainly for me, there was some, a need to learn and understand some of these elements as I took on the VP role. But I'll be honest, a lot of the grounding, the big acknowledgement has to go to the concert team. Working uh, with Dave Pogmore and, and, and the team there, a huge amount of time for them because that was the grounding I got that, that really lifted me to the position I've been able to achieve today. Uh, without some of the uh, some of the, the bright minds he has within his team, I wouldn't be here today in this position because I wouldn't have gained the experience that I did. Fantastic. I was actually going to ask, so so you're you're working at concert properties. Street side, I mean, concert's a kind of very highly, highly regarded player in, in Vancouver. Street side is increasingly well-known, but, but less so. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's a Qualico company, and I think some of our listeners will will recognize. I, I think Qualico is the largest private builder in Western Canada. Can you talk a little bit about what attracted you to your the the position you have? And and before we went live, you were saying you know the vice president. It's a bit of a misnomer in terms of what you're actually doing. But can you talk about streetside developments and and the larger company and and kind of the moves you're making here in in the Lower Mainland? Yeah. I mean, you're right. You're right about concert. They've got a fantastic reputation. For me, there were a couple of factors that really made the move viable um, and, and are something of interest to me. I, I'd reached probably a ceiling to some degree there. And it, it, that's not a reflection on anyone or any board, any, anything that was happening at concert. Just there was nowhere for me to grow at the time. And this opportunity came up. Qualico uh, offices are actually based in Surrey, and I live in Port Langley. So the commute was starting to take a toll. After 16 years of, or was it no, 15 years of driving downtown, I was 
getting very worn out by it. And uh, I was carpooling, but, but, you know, an hour and a quarter, an hour and a half each sure. way each day starts to take a lot out of your life. And uh, this opportunity arose. And I'd worked in wood frame prior. Uh, when I was at, at uh, cooperators, I'd been building townhouses and wood frame condominiums. So it was fairly easy for me to sort of step back to that opportunity. And so I was able to reduce my commute, continue the, the, the opportunity to grow within the development team here um, and become you know, the senior development uh, manager for the, the company was, was a great opportunity. I wasn't expecting to, to step into the VP role as soon as I did. Um, my predecessor left and, and the opportunity arose, put the name forward, but it's somewhat a misdescription saying sort of vice president. My title is vice president and, and I have no issues with it. But to give you a broader picture, as you said, yeah, we're the privately, uh, largest privately owned real estate home builder in, in Western Canada. And Coloco is made up of 40 odd different business units, ranging from material supply companies to builders to lumberyards. Here in BC, we really have just um, four operations. There's Rancho, they're, they're completely separate for us. They're actually based downtown Vancouver in a separate office, so that there's just no conflicts of interest. Um, but here in the Qualico offices in, in, in Surrey, we have Fox Ridge, which builds single-family homes. The street side, we build the multi-family division, so anything stratified. And then we have uh, what we call communities, uh, Qualico communities. They do land acquisition and compilation. Uh, they take land through servicing and rezoning, and then basically Fox Ridge and, and street side buy that land from them to build on. And... I, I look after all the street side. I don't just run the development team. I, 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 I'm responsible for overseeing the construction, home and care, sales, marketing activities. And as such, I'm given you know, good reign, free reign to, to make the decisions necessary to grow the company. And in, in moving into this role, um, working with some of my colleagues, we had the opportunity, Colico sees a growth opportunity or saw a growth opportunity in BC. There's a lot happening here in the Lower Mainland, and it, it's an opportunity for us to grow. We're one of the smallest regions at the moment by a number of staff and, and output, but have the potential to become quite a bit larger. So we'd always been building townhouses and sort of six-story wood frame, but with my concrete experience, but I also, as all often happens, you get a bit of a turnover of staff when some senior people come and go. Uh, I happen to have my, my director of construction, director of marketing, uh, some of the development team had concrete high-rise experience, and uh, one of our acquisition team presented a, a a tower site in the city of Surrey, Surrey City Centre, sorry, uh, that's going to become our first tower um, as an opportunity. And it, and it actually, it just made sense. There was just too many things pointing in the right direction. So we presented it to our senior executive as as an opportunity to grow, and it is. There's the lower mainland is constrained in so many ways that the density is is what we've got to look at. And they said, go for it. So we went for it and we managed to get the land and we are now uh, getting ready. We're going to be launching this fall, our first high rise project called Juno in uh, Surrey city center. So that's really exciting. So now we've, we've really started to step into the, the broader spectrum of, of all elements of residential construction uh, outside of perhaps mass timber here in the lower mainland. And uh, it's an exciting, I wouldn't say new direction, but additional direction. Um, we're still maintaining our townhouse pipeline. We're still maintaining our six-story wood frame pipeline. Right. So you, and I'm just thinking like I years back helped somebody purchase a couple units at, I think there's a townhome project at Tynehead Park that you did. Yes, Canopy. Canopy, right. And now Bailey on Quebec and 33rd is a wood frame project that you're, I think, just launched or, or in the process of launching. Yeah, um, we're, we're mid-launch, yes. Mid-launch there in the city of Vancouver. You have a concrete high-rise coming this fall. You know, it's, it strikes me as there's a lot going on in your day-to-day, -day, Jonathan. Can you just talk about what like a day in the life looks like in terms of managing that whole operation? That, uh, you know what, that's... that's uh... That's a really good question. I'm I'm not into monotony, and I'm I'm pleased to say that no two days are actually the same. To be quite frank with you, I am very lucky that we have the opportunity to do so many different things. That you know, one morning I can be on the phone with head office, just 
discussing financing for a project. Another day, we could be sitting looking at the, the, the interior design package for a different project. You know, there's just so many different avenues that this goes. It's very um, dynamic. It's, it's, it's really quite exciting because you do get a chance to be involved in so many different things. The normal things, managing the team, managing our pipeline, trying to make sure we stay on schedule. Um, I'm sure we'll get around to it, but you know, just, just wrestling. And I'll be honest with you, some of it right now, it is. It's, it's wrestling with municipal demands, wrestling with uh, construction costs, revenues. And, and, and this last 12 months, obviously, have been a, a lot more uh, tumultuous than the previous 12 months. So it it's, it's definitely definitely keeps you on your toes. Do you feel like Streetside... I, I feel like uh, we talked about this last time, but thinking about where we're at here in kind of late spring 2023 with the last 12 months, do you, do you feel like there, that Streetside and the LART being a part of Qualco and, and having so many different companies that there's a competitive advantage for Streetside uh, here in the Lower Mainland? You know what? We're not competing directly with any other Qualico business unit, which makes life easier. But there is an advantage because we are able to, we're able to go a, a, outside of the, the locale for information, ideas, thoughts, help. So the reason I say that is street side, there are four street side business units. The one that we, we have here in BC, one in Edmonton, one in Calgary, and one in Winnipeg. In fact, even and next week, I'm actually in Winnipeg to meet with the other three VPs. We get together a couple of times a year, and we, we actually sit down and talk about, what are you wrestling with? Oh, we're trying to get a, um, uh, a walk-up, three-story mini condo building that fits within part nine constraints going. You know, And so one of the Edmonton branches, the Edmonton team, were like, hey, actually, we, we've got a plan that works like that. Right. So now, you know, we're not doing a lot of – we're sharing the brain damage. That's probably a better way to say it, right? <laughs> you know? But but there are some other things that come out of it too. You know, being the scale we are, it's not now just oh we only need a hundred or something. We might need a thousand or something. And so there is leverage there for sure. Each market's different. So there are some things that we just have to slog through here. Um, you know, we're definitely wrestling with with no. We've got a great pool of trades, but wrestling. Well, let's say trade availability. I mean, just finding enough resources enough people to do the work. And it's not just us. Every, every, everyone else you talk to in the industry would tell you finding good trades and, and finding the people in the trades is a challenge. The municipalities, they've got a lot coming at them, but they're constrained too. You know, they're, they're, there's somewhat a staffing shortage, but the staff are on the move as well, right, within the municipalities. So at any one time, one might be fully staffed, but another one's in recruitment mode. And, and that impacts how projects get approved. And I would say that in other regions, they don't struggle perhaps with those same issues. And the reason I say that is uh, when you go to example to Calgary or Edmonton, we have three single family builder units. We have a, a land development unit, a multifamily unit, a commercial division. You know, so suddenly there's a bigger inertia. So we do have some of our own wrestles as well. But being able to share challenges and having someone you're not competing with to be able to call and say, hey, how did you solve this? Have you had that problem? What did you do here? Does help us. Sorry, Jonathan, can you just unpack the, the, the why in Alberta there's not the same challenges with, was that getting things kind of through the municipal, at the municipal level? Oh, that's a hot potato, isn't it? <laughs> so I, I, I've never worked in Alberta, but when we sit as a VP and talk about the challenges we've got, I get the others saying, oh my God, we don't have to do that. We don't have to do this. Their, their approval process is easier, it's quicker, and costs them way less. And, you know, I mean, we've got four levels of government, uh, each that apply taxes, and as I'm sure you guys have seen it too. 20, 25, 27, even now I'm hearing 30% of the cost of a door is going to the governments in taxes. But there's also all the asks. There's all the, the other pieces that they need. And I understand why. We don't have the ability to spread outwards. And that's possibly what makes life easier in Alberta. For example, you know, Edmonton is able to go horizontally. Calgary can go horizontally. We can't. We've got a border. We've got the ALR. We've got mountains and sea. The only way, you know, is density. 
So now you're wrestling with what does the density mean? Our interpretation of density can vary from a municipal perspective, but there's all the other added challenges, especially with the, the metro van layer, right? You know, you, for example, they've just added all the water fees have gone up. It's a huge implication for us. And the other regions don't always see those sorts of costs. Our land costs a lot more than each of those other regions and our construction costs are probably a little bit higher because of the cost of living. But then all our, our, those other costs that go into the performer add to it. And, and like I say, having not built in those regions, I'm not, I can't speak to the details of why, but they, they just sit there going, man, you, it takes you longer, it costs you more. It's, you know, I see them as lucky in, in that way, but uh, it's something we've got to wrestle with, right? And is, is that the same for skilled labor, like getting labor? Uh, it has been. Um, certainly in the past, there was an attraction to come to BC. We are seeing some migration to Alberta, and the, the Alberta divisions are, are certainly reporting growth. And, and, and I assume that means trades as well as others, people moving to the region. Jonathan, maybe switching gears here, um, mm-hmm. let's, let's just uh, maybe talk about the market a bit. Um, what are your thoughts on the current state of the market? Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. We've seen an uptick in, in uh, demand uh, and sales, which is, which is good for us. There's definitely some uncertainty. Um, to do with the interest rates and, and the inflation announcement. I know BC was okay, but the rest of the the, the country, we saw an uptick again. It, it worries me that the feds are going to start playing around with interest rates. Buyers want stability. And I would argue that, we, you know, whilst we've seen some movement and that's a good sign for all of us, we're, we're seeing some sales. Uh, I don't expect it to get anything crazy like it was early last year. But I'll be honest, I, I do wish the Bank of Canada could just let it settle and just see the rather I just hope they don't react quickly to the inflation thing and just see if it's not just a wobble. Let's the, the more certainty we have around interest rates, the better. We it is interesting. You know, we had a situation where basically it was free money. Now we're what's probably more a normal interest rate. But people got used to that cheaper cost. I would argue that the stress test is maybe some overkill at this point, which makes sales harder still because people will write an offer, but then they come back and rescind because they can't get finance. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely a wrestle um, with that. The other part of it is the investor market. And I'm going to get into a different sort of hot potato topic, and that's rental housing and, and that component. I know everybody's pushing for more rental housing. I understand the need for it. But in the stronger markets, there's a lot of mom and pop investors. And, you know, half our condos, investors might be buying them and then renting them out, which fulfills part of that rental market. The increase in interest rates, all those investors disappeared the day interest rates started going up. It's actually impacted our rental market. So there's less rental properties coming available. We've got more people moving here, so rents are going up, right? So there's a whole thing crashing together there, and, and I'm not a financial expert, but I, I just feel like something's something's got to give in order for us to meet all of the other demands, right? And then when we get to that bigger picture, we've got the feds and the province and going, you need to build more houses, you need to build them faster, and you need to build them cheaper. We can't do all of that, and... It worries me that something's going to break somewhere along the way on a bigger scale. I don't know what it would be, but we, it's all crashing together, right? That 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 does seem like, I feel like we, we were just at an event yesterday with the the Minister of Housing, the BC Minister of Housing. And it, it yeah. does, I feel like that was a general, almost the general sense in the room was, yeah, there's there's all these things coming together. There's clearly we need more housing but the the environment is very difficult to build, and not only from a political, but even just the the Bank of Canada's the interest rate, the overnight rate, all these things are coming together in a in a moment where it's like it's almost seems to be getting scary again in this like something's going to break. What's but what is it? Yeah, and I, I don't quite know what it is. There's a lot of pressure when you talk to the municipalities. There's a lot of pressure on them, and and they and they do get it. 
we're working in quite a few municipalities across the lower mainland from Langley, Surrey through to Burnaby. But it's not just down to having people process this stuff, right? There's the other pressures of you have the Metrovan level of taxation, you have municipal CACs and DCCs and, you know, wrestling with all that. How do you build these homes cheaper? We have to, we have to take our, our, the products that go into the building aside, right? The commodities are governed at a world level. We, we can't reduce commodity pricing at our regional level. It's, 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 out, it's out of the question. So we have to look at what else there is. And it's, it's like, and, and I actually was a, a UDI lunch last week uh, and the minister spoke and he's right. The one thing that they can address is uh, time because time is money too. So they're trying to make things happen faster. But you run into this logjam in that you open the top of the funnel. Okay, we're going to get approvals done faster. But now you've still got to get through not just the DP, but the BP process. Well, we don't have enough inspectors. Most municipalities, I think, are struggling to service that end. So we're not going to see more starts. And if we don't see more starts, you know, and whether it's rentable or for sale accommodation, we're not going to fix that issue. And it does make your head spin a bit when, um, and I'll be honest, this is something I don't agree with. Um, a week or so ago, the Metrovan board, the, 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 so the mayors all sit on the board, obviously running Metro Vancouver, came out and said, well, new development needs to pay for itself. Yes, it does. What I feel it's somewhat political. By, by making that decision and wanting to put all the new costs on new development, the existing electoral base now doesn't see the taxes go up more. I get it. That allows them to get redeveloped more easily. But, you know, sewer lines are wearing out. And and yet we're we're sort of passing those costs on to new development again. But everybody, I'm a taxpayer. I need to be paying to be upgrading a sewer line that services my home, for example. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's not happening. So all of these additional costs are being levied upon new homes. And and maybe we need to revisit that. Maybe rental homes need to be incentivized somewhere, but they're not. You know, we, we pay all the same fees on a rental or, or a condominium development in most places. There's demands for more park space, more infrastructure to service all of this, right? You know, it's not just us, right? It's the municipalities themselves trying to build more schools, more rec centers and everything else. They all cost money. They've got to find that money and raise that money to pay for that as well. So there's a whole series of things that happen that just, I, d I don't see a quick fix. And it sounds a bit of a depressing tone, but I don't know the fix either. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the Lower Mainland? Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. And so we've seen, I mean, two things we've talked a lot about is one is housing starts being a lot of developers hitting pause over the last year. A, a lot of mm -hmm. launches, um, you know, actually in the last month or two, we've seen more, but it feels like it's it's pretty slow going. So new home inventory is low. Inventory more generally is low. 
I guess I'm just thinking here, like, it sounds like you can't, there's, it's very, very challenging to deliver homes any cheaper than they're being delivered on in the new home space. Best guess, like, what do you think happens with pricing in the next one, three, five? And this isn't even really a forecasting, but I guess it kind of is because if you can't build homes for cheaper than, than, than today's prices, which are very unachievable for a lot of people, like, do we just keep plodding along here? Uh, or do housing costs actually go up along with inflation over the next three, five years? Uh, is there a breaking point? Uh, just a general thought on that. Yeah, great, great question. Um, outside of the time is money piece and getting faster approvals. Yeah, the world's population at a grand, grand scale, but even this population at a regional scale, they're growing. And you're right. There are a series of factors that just mean we'll never see the price of a home come down. And I, I, you do see that commentary coming out at, at different regional and, and national levels. It's just not a feasible option. Can we can we keep prices similar you know, at a, a current state? Maybe. But there's some other things that come into play, right? I mean, land and land scarcity, the price per square per acre is, is going up. That needs to stabilize at the start. The approval times, the permitting times need to stay. But there's all the other pressures, right? So even your consulting team, their fees are going up because I was just I met with an architect just for lunch just two weeks ago, and he's desperately trying to find more architects. They're having to offer them bigger salaries. They're, they're seeing their staff trying to be poached elsewhere on higher salaries. The inflationary cycle is present, and it's being driven by the cost of housing. Mm. And that's just one example, right? But everybody else is experiencing that too. And it's interesting because the, the minister, um, he did talk about looking elsewhere in the world, and, and I appreciate that they're trying to find alternative solutions. I hate to say it, but there's a, there's a point here where we have to start discussing about there's a certain dynamic, certain part of the population that just may, may never own a home. And that's a change in the North American culture. The you know, you go to someone like Sweden, right? And what is it, 80, 85% of Swedish um, homeowners, uh, Swedish homes are rental. They're not, they don't own their homes. So they have very different tax structure. I, 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 it may have changed, but it used to be that when you retired, you stopped paying taxes. Your taxes were high in the run up to it, but then you, you had a good pension for life. Your pension covered your rent for life. The rental rates were locked. So one of the interesting things with um, rental buildings, and, and people investing in rental buildings, not just in, in Sweden, but elsewhere, the mortgage terms were a lot longer. Now, there's another underlying piece there. Homes in Europe, the design specification is that they must must exist for 60 years minimum. Ours is 30 years here. Well, if you've got a pro home that's designed to last 60 years, the quality of the materials, the quality of the detailing and design are arguably a bit better because you need to last longer. But that means then the bank should be prepared to offer longer mortgages. So maybe we need to revisit what you know commercial mortgages or mortgages related to rental housing look like. CMHC is doing a great job offering you know discounted lending rates, but it's the payback term too, right? Yeah. We have to look at what does it cost per month. And I'll be honest, the province locking those rates, I understand why they need to do it. They, they're trying to preserve pricing. But on the other side, it doesn't encourage other people to get into the market with rental housing. So now we're into this problem where people can't afford to buy a house, but the rents are going up. I mean, what do we? I think we just saw it was what, was it three thousand a month now or two thousand a month? Sorry, cheapest rent in Burnaby for a two bed unit. It it's getting very expensive to live here, and so we've got to find some other ways to open that up and look at what other places in the world do do to to facilitate this. So thinking maybe, Jonathan, about um, where you're seeing growth in the region, and actually I'll, I'll extend that to the province, um, what cities and secondary markets are you kind of monitoring as, as areas of growth? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. Um, that's a great question. Um, certainly, I mean, Vancouver Island as a whole seems to be in a lot of demand right now. Not just Victoria, but I actually mean all the way up the island, certainly as far as, you know, Campbell River and Comox. 
there's definitely a demand and, and people moving to the Okanagan still. Um, but the interesting piece I've read recently or been following recently is is rec property as a whole hasn't really come off through this um, you know this this stall this downturn we've seen in the last twelve months. Right. So you know you know it, um, just you know when you look at places like um, uh, Big White, um, Sun Peaks, Whistler, none of those have come off in value. Um. Some of the lake uh, locations through, you know, the Okanagan up through the Caribou haven't really seen, you may have seen some people take things off the market, but what's been on the market has been a, a much higher sort of value than, than we've seen previously. The harder part and the reason I say it's tough is we definitely saw a drop off in inventory. And I know you guys will have seen that too, right? People that didn't need to sell have just said, you know, I'm not going to sell. And I think that's kind of pushing up the prices that people are achieving on what is on the market because mm -hmm. people are needing to buy. And, and that, yeah, that's, that's never fixable in the current market, right? That, that's just a function of demand and supply. Yeah, so that's really the areas I've, I've been watching. I, I'll be honest with you, my main focus has been on the lower mainland and, and what, do we, what do we do with our projects? How do we think they're going to form based upon when we think they'll be building and selling? So, uh, for example, the Bailey one, which we've just launched, well, well, know, very, very carefully watched that for a long time before we went and, and said, let's go. And that and that's a really, that little mountain area is a phenomenal area. Maybe going kind of more local, what, what areas of, of uh, the lower mainland are you most excited about? Huh. Well, I'm going to be biased because I've got projects. We've we've got stuff happening in in Coquitlam as well as the the, the Bailey project in Vancouver. We've got uh, a couple of townhouse sites coming up on Burke Mountain, um, and I actually think that area. Um, the city has a load of its own land that they're developing um, for the Burke Mountain Village. I think that's quite an exciting new community to come. Um, there are also several areas of Surrey uh, that there's new NCPs being passed, and I think. The growth in South Surrey through the Grandview area is is exciting. Um, it's it's an it's a really nice part of Surrey. Um, Langley still has a lot to come. Um, uh, the, the mayor there, Eric Woodward, is is very dynamic. He is he's moving at quite a pace to to get things going there, and and that's quite exciting. We've we uh, full disclosure, we've got some properties there where where he's, he's saying, look, you know, we need to land more density. Um, he's reviewing the 200 Street Corridor, which is the main north-south corridor from the highway down into the, the Langley City, but you know, trying to add density. And so I think in the future, those those areas are ones where we've, we've really got some opportunity for, for good growth. And it would be arranged for us anyway of townhouses and condominiums through those different areas. The challenge is, is, is timing, getting it to market. You know, like if we're going through DP approval now, what I don't know is in two years from now, when we launch a townhouse project for sale, what will the market be like? And, and no one else does that speculation anyways. But I do think that there's some future growth still to happen there. I think that the other part to look at too is going to be the brain's gone out of gear, but the Langley-Surrey uh, Skytrain corridor that's coming. Mm -hmm, right. We know that um, each of the Surrey, Langley and Langley City have all looked at their NCPs along those areas and have increased density. And I think we're going to see a lot happen in that area. Maybe, Jonathan, putting it another way, if you were advising your nephew, your nephew, <laughs> who yep. is saying, Jonathan, Uncle Jonathan, condo, townhome, single family, what and where, if you could buy one property right now, knowing what you know as, as basically the head of street side developments, what, what do you think you'd be, where, where would you point them right now? In the lower domain, yeah, yeah. So, loaded question. I, uh, having having done a commute that took a lot out of me for a long time, I would encourage anyone to look in the areas that they're working. I think we are seeing people working all over the region now. So, if you've got a, a job in Surrey, live in Surrey, um, and if you've got a job in Vancouver, maybe looking living in Vancouver, or the costs are sort of slightly higher. 
if I had to pick one place that I, I think has really got opportunity for a, a young person getting into the market, it, it is Surrey City Centre still. Oh, interesting. I don't think we have fully seen the potential for Surrey City Centre built out yet. Um, you know, we've only got a single tower, but you've got Bose and Anthem with multiple towers and hundreds or thousands of homes coming. Once they get built, they start to drive a new inertia, right? And we saw this through several decades downtown with all the new residential towers going up. They start to create that vibe of a city being alive day and night, which I know people say right now, oh, there's not enough offices, there's not enough um, you know, new retail and stuff. But once you've got that critical mass of people living there, the businesses become sustainable. And I think it will uptick. And I really do think that there's great potential in Surrey city center. There's three SkyTrain stations that are already present and anything. I grew up in the UK where we walk a lot longer distances to me, anything less than a kilometer walk to work or walk to the SkyTrain is, is quite a feasible option. I know people talk about one city block or two city blocks, you know, 400 meters, 800 meters. Those radiuses are quite achievable. You know, the, 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 there's, there's quite a few developers, and people working in that area. And like I say, I, I don't know the statistics on how many towers are coming, but I know there's more to be built than are already built. And I do think it will become a very dynamic city center in the next decade. Yeah, when when you look at the renditions, I think it's on the Surrey website of all the towers to come. It's It's overwhelming. It looks almost like... Oh, <laughs> yeah. But it's also funny how, you know, you talk to people about places like that or, you know, I think of Brentwood and people are always worried about, you know, oversupply or being overbuilt. But actually what you're saying is is the opposite. There's an, an inertia in and, in and of itself. You build it and and they will come, right? And then it, it fills yeah. out and it's the place to be. And it's amazing because that run, like Surrey's been on a run for so long. Yeah, It feels like, you know, watching the price per square foot just go up and up and up. And it's, it's, it's interesting to think that there's, uh, it's still got some legs. Yeah. And what's interesting is it's standing the test of time for growth, right? You, you had Diane Watts who started the ball rolling and, and, and actually having the guts to move the city hall to the, to, to a, a SkyTrain location. But, but then beyond that, whether you love him or hate him, Mayor McCallum, now Mayor Locke, they're, they're, all, they're all seeing, they all understand the need for the viable location. The interesting that you pick up on Brentwood, there are some other locations I think will grow and are viable around existing malls. You've got Oak Ridge, you've got Brentwood, you've got Coquitlam City Centre, Lowheed Mall. They're existing places that people go to already for shopping. And there's, there's more. I've only mentioned a couple, obviously. But, you know, those will continue to be drivers and be viable because some of that infrastructure that services residents is there. The difference in Surrey City Centre is, yes, there's some malls, but they're not big. It's not, I've forgotten the name of it, but it's not a huge mall yet. But you get into, once the city's reached that a certain size, and you look at Vancouver, right, you start to get those kind of, put in inverted commas, cooler retails, those one-off, those startup retails with innovative ideas, you know, the meat and breads and all those types of things that just offer variety away from the chains if that makes sense. It's interesting. We, um, we had a, a meet Joe Hall on the program recently and, and her take was in many regards that Surrey is almost, you know, at 1100 a foot, a lot of people like to say, well, wait, you can buy Vancouver, you know, a 10 year old unit in Vancouver for close to 1100 a foot in some areas. And, and her point is that Surrey has almost become detached from the lower mainland in that regard, where people that want to buy in Surrey only want to buy in Surrey, a lot of people, and and just how vibrant the South Asian community is in 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 their desire to mm -hmm. be in Surrey as well. So it's it's an interesting uh, region. Yeah, it is, and 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 this is where becoming like, I mean, it really is the second big city. But I I don't disagree with you. I think there are some sub markets that sit above there, and and you're right. You can go into parts of Vancouver and find existing properties for a thousand a foot. But I'm not saying that there are things against Vancouver. I think we're just seeing more industry and more business opportunities, especially post-COVID and the people realizing the ability to work in different locations. There used to be a large, you know, inward migration to Vancouver and out is almost like a lung. It's only the downtown core, lung inhaling and exhaling every day, but people. 
And what people realized is actually, well, I'm, I'm doing this commute. Well, they went through COVID and going, oh, I'm not missing my commute, but I live in Surrey. Oh, I, I can now work in Surrey. I think it will sustain itself. The, the other part's geography. Vancouver's beautiful. And the, the mountains, what we can see the mountains from Surrey is, is beautiful. But in Surrey, it's easy to get on Highway 1. You haven't got to wrestle with the corridor through Burnaby Lakes if you're trying to go east, if you're trying to go south. Even getting to the ferry is relatively easy from Surrey, you know, to Austin ways. Getting to the airport with the south perimeter road, relatively easy. So it's kind of got, you can go in all four directions. And I think the downtown core of Vancouver has hurt itself by not, and I understand the history, but, but just by not having a fast access. And I, I, I tell you this myself, when I was commuting downtown, you'd have 40 minutes on the highway, 40 minutes pulling off the highway at Hastings, getting downtown. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's going to hurt themselves. I know that they're trying to get everybody out the car, but we've got to be realistic here. Not everybody's going to get on a bus. Not everybody's going to get on a train. I carpooled, but not everybody wants to do that. And we, we have to be realistic about it. There's, there's some planning decisions that are made in a utopian world as opposed to where we really live. I'll give you another example. We wrestle with the the car allowances. Like, you know, you, Some of the condo developments now we're seeing where you only have 0.8 stalls per suite. Well, everyone, not everyone may own a car, but everyone thinks they need a parking stall for their suite. For future sale, or for their friends coming to visit, or whatever have you. So the, the, there are some um, from that side of things. Certainly, some stuff that still challenges. But yeah, I, I I do think Surrey City Centre still has the ability to grow more, and it's probably not a bad thing. Well, well, maybe we'll leave it there. But we do have this segment called the Five Wire, Jonathan. Five lighthearted questions that we end every show with. Can you stick around for that? I can indeed. The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Question number one is, what is one book you've read recently that you'd recommend? And actually, Jonathan, I should say, I did uh, end up buying, I think your last time you recommended Boys in the Boys in the Boat? Is that the, oh, gosh, the yeah, rowing one. The rowing one. Yeah, I bought that book. Yeah. That was a great book. So uh, thanks for the recommendation last time. Yeah. Well, you know what? And the, and the movie that goes with it was very good, too. Oh, you would have watched the movie. I would have just watched the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the world's best reader. I, I have got a book I started, but just seem to have a lot of other things going on these days. Uh, My Biggest Mistake by Terry O'Reilly. I I, I enjoy oh. listening to his podcast. Um, And when he's on CBC, he just has a perspective on marketing. But the way he portrays it, it brings it to an understandable level to a non-marketing person. We, we've had him on the show. He's a, he's a great guy. Yep. Yeah, I do, I do, just something about his tone. Yeah, like like I say, I, I've only I've only I'm not even a full chapter in, but I can hear him reading that book, too, <laughs> which is a little bit unique, right? It is also um, he he's also I feel like it, Seth Godin comes to mind too yeah. as like master marketers in terms of packaging yeah. information in a way that is so exceptional. Yeah, right. I think and just yeah. thoughtful and calm people too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, get, that's a great one. Don't get into a fluster, right? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Question number two. Question number two, Jonathan, in the last few years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Huh. That's a really good one. Uh, certainly trying to not react instantly to stuff. And what I mean by that is you can get stuff that comes in and it just bugs the heck out of you. And it's very quick, easy to do a quick response that could actually provoke them to, to be, make things, it, it could get worse. So if something bugs me, I, I tend to sleep on it and I'll pick it up the next day uh, where a cooler head may prevail. Fantastic yeah, advice. I, say this. <laughs> I, I feel like that, that advice will stand the test of time. 
It's working so far. (laughs) (laughs) Question number three. What have you been binge watching lately or a movie recommendation? Oh, gosh. I haven't really binge watched anything since Drive to Survive, whatever the last series was. That's something I always had to binge with my son. But um, movie recommendation, I'm, I'm, I'm not the world's best movie watcher. I just, uh, we went back to the UK for spring break, first time since COVID, and I actually watched Interstellar, which was incredible. Oh, right. And I, I, I wish it hadn't taken me that long to watch it in the end. <laughs> that was the last movie I watched. Uh, but it was it's a, a, an incredible movie. I, I, I hope there's a, a follow-up somewhere. Yeah, it was one where I thought, oh, that's not my thing. And it just it grabbed me. Oh, fantastic. Uh, favorite band or music, Jonathan? Oh, gosh. I, I, I kind of enjoy quite a range of music. Uh, there's a composer that I've been listening to recently, and it's a bit more modern. His name's Ryan... Louder, I remember the surname there, and he uh, just to be honest with you through Spotify. Uh, it's fairly relaxed music, but uh, I just I'm finding that's kind of a nice way. If I had to pick a, a, a previous generation band, it, it would have to be someone like Coldplay. Something about when they get going uh, in my headphones, I, I'm I'm a, it's a good time. So. so it's a roller coaster. You're upbeat. You're crying. You're everything. Yeah, my, my kids hate my music mix. It's somewhat eclectic. <laughs> uh, last but not least, uh, something you've purchased recently for under $1,500 that's had a positive impact on your life. Oh, right. Under $1,500. Yeah, we, we've just done a reno, so none of it was under... <laughs> we just the kitchen. A faucet. Um, under $1,500. Yeah, I haven't been buying a lot for myself because of the, the reno. Yeah, probably... Uh, did buy a new barbecue the other week. That's probably it. I'm not one of these barbecuers with, you know, 63 attachments. But I, <laughs> I did upgrade to a nice little Weber, and uh, it's going great. I just upgraded to a Weber uh, earlier this year as well. Uh, and it's also going great. So good recommendation. Yeah. Jonathan, how, how can people find out more about uh, Streetside, what you're doing, the projects coming up, and, and how do they, they follow along and learn more about what you're doing over there? Yeah, so we are on, oh dear, I'm really rubbish at all the, Insta, the face, social media, but we're on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, but yeah, Streetside Development, BC, uh, Google it, uh, or Qualico. Uh, Qualico, if you Google Qualico, will take you to the parent company. You can see what we do at a bigger scale. And then within there, you can there's a drop-down menu where you can specifically pick Streetside BC. But if you go to Streetside BC, we have a, a really recently upgraded, we upgraded the um, middle of last year website. Uh, very easy to navigate. You can look at past projects, current projects, future projects. And wherever it's a current project, you can pull down a menu that allows you to enter the individual website. We've got a variety of Project launch is coming, so it's definitely worth watching us. That's a self, uh, self-promotion self piece, but uh, thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's us. Well, we'll be definitely watching. And uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for uh, a, a very thorough and uh, engaging conversation. Oh, you're welcome, guys. Thanks for having, uh, having me on the show. So there you have it, folks, uh, our discussion with Jonathan Meads, VP Streetside Developments, of course, a Qualico company. Yeah, I really enjoyed that conversation with Jonathan, Matt. Unique vantage point, being someone who's from the UK, moves to Vancouver, understands housing, and basically finds a way to climb the ladder in the in with different developers and ends up now in a role where he's basically running Streetside and doing so in, a, in an incredible way. And... Overall, it's also from that that context of the Western Canada too. It's like it's also a unique insight into kind of where our challenges are, right? Compared to well, other markets. I feel like there's yeah, a couple of interesting things about Western Canada. One is our challenges in relation to the rest of Western Canada. Also Western Canada in relation to, say, a London, England. Right. 
not quite the nepotism and uh, did you say patronage? I did. I pronounced it better than that. But uh, let's just say uh, the, he he was saying that in the UK, he basically, he, did, he wasn't was, part of a wealthy family or, or, or dad couldn't hand him the keys, right? Or, or Exactly. So he literally went west. Yes. Go west, young man. And look what he's done for himself. And, and uh, in the last thing, uh, component I was going to say about Western Canada was what a unique position. We didn't really get into it, but I was just thinking as, as he was talking, Qualico, you know, has lumber companies, property management companies, multiple development companies, single family home building, multifamily, uh, to, to concrete yeah. towers. Yep. I feel like he's in a, has a unique vantage point to see how the sausage gets made from like literally from soup to nuts right? and talk to some of the smartest people in all those fields. So man, what a position. Yeah. And the reason we spent so much time on his past too, is because it's, it's, we get this question a lot. We get people that are, get fired up, young people that get fired up about real estate and then they want to be developers. It's like, well, there's <laughs> yeah, a, right. <laughs> start by reading Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, but it's, it's really, it is interesting. I, I love looking at career trajectories in our industry and seeing how people got to where they are because it, it's fascinating. And, uh, Anyways, Jonathan's journey is as fascinating as uh, many of the other folks we've had on this program. So that was great. Matt, what else do we got for the day? What else do we have? We have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Uh, mentioned at the start, this is our new website. Yes. Uh, a, a much better website in terms of use, right? It's much more user-friendly, I totally, would say. Totally. Uh, you can sort by what you're interested in, find back episodes to listen to if you're interested in growing an investment portfolio, uh, whatever. There's like almost 500 hours of content plus on, yeah. that, on that. So, I mean, if you are just looking to devour real estate information, I mean, you could be on this website for, for weeks. That's VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We, of course, have the sold plan. You hit sell with us. We've talked about that. Yes. We have the live wire. This is our weekly email. Tons of VIP pre-sale access, stats, different types of stats, stats before anyone else deal of the month. There's no reason why you don't want to be on the live wire. That's for sure. And of course, we now have a button that says buy with us and that's for private client services. Yeah, Matt, because if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available at your fingertips over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Why would you not have a PCS account in a market like this where stuff is selling in many cases over asking? In some cases, still under asking. That's but right. The point is, is you want to be charting what's happening in the market, list price to sale price, and you get those solds in real time. So sign up for your own free account. And while you're there, have a look around, listen to some past episodes, including, I, I just want to give a, a quick plug to last week's episode, which right. has had a ton of amazing feedback. We had Jeff Myers on the program, who is the CEO of Zonda. And everybody liked that episode. We actually had every, somebody wrote in and said, just how many houses does Jeff Myers have? Uh, which, uh, well, I should have asked. I know Seattle. I know Victoria. There, there were a couple of references to some <laughs> houses. So uh, we're going to, we're going to figure out what that number is, but I'm guessing there is, it's more than two. Uh, yeah, speaking of success stories. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matt, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, you can get in touch at any time, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And we also got that Kokomo line info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Have a great week, guys. We're back with another phenomenal episode. And uh, until then, uh, we'll see you, on, see you on our Instagram, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Have a good week. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.